0: Hi, this is Pastor Eric Anderson with Stay In Your Faith. Have you ever been afraid of something or anything? I know my wife is afraid of snakes, petrified of them. But she'll also be the first one to ride the biggest roller coaster, parachute out of a plane from 15,000 feet. Why? Why? Be on the ocean to watch these massive, Beast called whales that with one whip of their tail could destroy everything completely? Moby Dick ain't got nothing on her. As for me, you might ask, what am I afraid of? I consider myself a rare breed of fearlessness. Not. <laughs> Fear of a dentist? Absolutely. Fear of heights? For sure. You're never going to catch me jumping out of a plane on purpose. Nope. But last but not least, the dreaded lima bean. That's my fear. Just keep them away from me. It's God's one and only mistake to mankind. You know, when I was struggling along with life in college, the Lord reminded me of Psalms fifty-six, three. When I'm afraid, I will trust in thee simply trust in thee. I know that sounds simple, but my desire to please the Lord and not disappoint Him or show fear was to ultimately trust Him in all things. I have a daughter, my sweet little girl. She has a heart of gold, but also a heart of being very, very afraid. And P.S., I did ask my daughter if I could share all this, so she's good with it. But when she was younger, she had a hard time adjusting in school and was always afraid of her surroundings, really almost petrified. At night, even the thought of a rainstorm or her dreams that would be too much, you could find her laying on a blanket in our bedroom right next to the bed. It was quite a shock to step out of the bed and then realize she was right there. Ah! She even had a hard time riding a bike out of fear. I mean, it wasn't until she was probably 11 or 12 that she even figured that out. Then it came to driving. I mean, she's almost 31 years old right now, and she didn't start driving until she was 26. All because of fear. She needed some reassurance that she would be okay and nothing, I mean nothing, could or would go wrong. She needed to trust that God would get her through her fears. Focus on the family James Dobson defines faith like this. Faith is acting like God is telling the truth. Faith is an action done in response to God's viewpoint on the matter. Faith is complete trust or confidence in someone or something. You know, many times we find ourselves in a place just like my daughter and feel like she is either all in and leaning on her faith in him or uncertain and leaning on her fears. So back to my daughter and overcoming her fears. Those hard times in school, well, she found a teacher who would love on her and walk her through her fears every day until she stood tall all by herself. At night when she was afraid of the storms and the sounds, well, we played music softly and got darkening curtains. You all know what I'm talking about. And they shielded all those fears for her. When it came to overcoming her fear of bikes, we bought a device that gave me, Dad, the control and security of the bike. But it also gave her the confidence if she she was out there all by herself. Eventually, when driving became a necessity and not an option anymore, and she was on her fifth, yes, I said fifth, driver's temp, I decided to take her out driving again. But this time, we came down the main road with a ramp onto the highway. You know what I'm getting at. I grabbed the wheel and we, I mean I, (laughs) merged on the ramp without her consent and she voiced it very clearly and very loudly. Once she conquered the highway, her fears seemed to come. So here's my point. You see, in school, she needed someone to walk her through each day through the hallways of life. That's what Jesus did. When fear had paralyzed her at night and she needed shelter in her storms, his spirit was a gentle whisper and she was shielded from the dangers of the night. Just what Jesus would do. And when the fear and thought of riding her bike and falling off again and again and never making it, there came a way to give her the confidence of knowing that she is safe and would make it through and not fall. That's where Jesus carries you. And then finally she made her way on the road and really life's highways to find the assurance that the road is not hers. And that's where Jesus led the way. So the next time that you're afraid and crippled by life, remember to trust in him for he is faithful. This is Pastor Eric Anderson with Stay in Your Faith. Hi, this is Pastor Eric Anderson with Stay In Your Faith. Kevin James is one of my favorite comedians, you know, the one from the King of Queens. He kind of reminds me a little bit of myself in many ways. He's a stand-up comedian and he has a stand-up act about phone etiquette and, and cadence when you leave a message. So when you call and you leave a voicemail, there's a proper and or a improper way to leave that number to call you back on. You might say something like, call me back, and you leave the number in a certain cadence. You know, like, ba-ba-ba, ba-ba-ba, ba-ba, (laughs) ba-ba. But sometimes, some of them leave out that cadence and they throw you completely off. You know, like, ba-ba-ba-ba-ba, ba-ba-ba, ba 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 And you know how that works. It just doesn't make sense to your mind. And you have to redo it or replay it every time because your mind can't get it right. And you have to get a piece of paper and a pencil and play it again and again and again. That's not the right cadence. That's not how it works. You know, men and women of the military use cadence for a purpose, too. Cadence is set the rhythm of each step that is taken whether it's during one of their runs or on one of their marches people don't understand cadences because they think it's just a silly thing they do just to have fun or just because no it has a purpose i mean we run or walk for different reasons right we run to get in shape we run to get the stress out of our lives We run or walk because we think it's fun or it helps us to think sometimes. But did you know that running is also a way for you to manage your emotional state? Endorphins are released when you run or you walk, and they manage those emotions that you're really not used to. It kind of keeps us in line. While singing a cadence to rhythm on your run, we all do it that way kind of in that beat, in that tempo, we realize that the most important position is taking care of ourselves so that we can take care of those that we love. So we run, or we walk, or we just get outside, like we're doing more these days during these times. The Bible and prayer is our cadence that opens up our faith and our hope in the Lord. It's kind of a moral compass through life. We must keep in mind that our lives are ours to mess up. They're given to us by God to choose rather where we're going and if we're going to stay in cadence or not. So when the times around you get tough or you fall, which can happen, that's why you get back in cadence. Keep in step with what was working. So we need someone to, call that cadence out for us, but not just anyone, the one, the one who has been given the responsibility for us all as individuals to collectively as a body of believers and followers of Christ, and his name's Jesus. And he gives us the cadence through the power of the Holy Spirit to get back in line. So like Paul writes in Galatians 5.26, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let's go find our cadence again. God bless. Hello, this is Pastor Eric Anderson with Stay in Your Faith. What about the middle? Have you ever thought about the middle of your life? The in-between? A friend of mine, Reverend Mark Smith up in the Cleveland area, I don't know if he's listening, but Mark, if you are, brother, hopefully we'll see you soon. But he used to tell a story of what is most important in your life and that makes it worth it all is what happens in the middle between life and death. He used to use the example of life as like an Oreo cookie. Some people pull one side of the wafer off and eat it first and then scrape the middle with their teeth and then lick it clean and then eat the other wafer or even sometimes they would throw that other wafer away. I don't know why they would do that, that's still good. Some take the whole cookie and dip it in a nice ice cold glass of milk and enjoy every bite. Then there are some who I might say I would raise my hand just care about the creamy-filled middle. That middle part, you know, the best part of the Oreo? Separating both the chocolatey wafers, twisting and pulling them apart. Then eyeing that creamy-filled middle with such anticipation and joy, and then licking it clean. Okay, that might've got a little weird. I I get it, But, but still, I haven't even mentioned The double stuff, twice as much of heaven to enjoy. Or as Tim Hawkins might say, it's like eating a baby angel. Yes, the middle, it's the best part. It's all about the middle of life. So it begs the question, what are you doing with your middle of life? The between, what are you doing with this life between life and death that he has given you? And what has been your purpose in life? May we in the power and strength of the Lord resolve to make this life count as we live each day for you and not for ourselves, Lord. In James 4, he reminds us that life is short. Life is a vapor, like a morning mist that soon will vanish. So life is short and uncertain. I mean, there's no guarantees about tomorrow, let alone next year or the next 10 years from now. You may be young and healthy this morning, but you know as well as I do that that could change today or tomorrow. You may be thinking, wow, Pastor, that's a little much. I I don't want to think about those things. But again, if you ignore those things, you might not live your life in the light of eternity. See, James wants us to know, because life is a vapor, we should humble ourselves before God and obey his will. It might read in the more vernacular sense, you have no idea what will happen tomorrow. Again, you may think this is a a little too much to think about and maybe even a little depressing. I'm not suggesting that we obsess on life right now and where it has been up to this point or even over the last several weeks of this COVID life that we are in. But if you don't think about it, you will not live the right dependence on God that you need to. I mean, think about it. Think about what God wants your life to have looked like when this life comes to its end. What will you have accomplished or missed that matters for eternity? You know, my purpose, my purpose in life is to glorify God by being a godly husband, father, and by using my gifts of pastoring and leading for the building up of the body of Christ and advancing of his gospel. To make this best part of my middle the best it can be for God. So today, dear Lord, is another day that we are thankful for what you have given us. We are grateful for this time or middle of life on this earth that you have allowed to us. So grant to each of us the joy of living each day in its fullness for you making it the best parts of our life. So for each and every one of you out there right now that may be listening, Go make this middle of life the best it can be for God, and do it right now. God bless you, and have a great week. Hi, this is Pastor Eric Anderson with Stay In Your Faith. You know, I've learned over the years about the things that make you happy should and will help you live longer. The question is, what are those things? Fishing, hunting, golfing, swimming, and so on. Those are the things that are nice, but they're not on the top of my list whatsoever. Here's an example. I've been fishing, and but I have vertigo and being on a boat or even on the shore with all the waves doesn't fare very well with me even if i caught something i wouldn't need it because i don't even like fish but nonetheless it's not fishing how about hunting years ago i went fishing with one of the youth workers and his father from our church in Huntsville Alabama This was a unique situation for me because this was the Sergeant York who was the grandson of the great, great, great Sergeant York from the war. They asked me if I would go hunting, so I did, thought I'd try it out. I had a little 410, I believe that's what it's called, shotgun, and they had something else probably much larger than what I did. At the time, it was, it was quail season, but we didn't see one of those. But, man, did we see plenty of meadowlarks, and we took each and every one of them out, but we couldn't take them with us, because you can't eat quail. I was under the impression that anything that you were caught would taste like chicken, and I like chicken, but not today. We shot a skunk, a frog, a squirrel, Several of the things that you're probably not supposed to shoot. But I couldn't. I just couldn't do it. And it seemed seemed to not be my forte. So that wasn't really fun for me. Maybe another one would be golfing. I know there's several of you out there that love golfing. I remember the first time I ever went golfing with my former pastor from Covington First Church of the Nazarene. And not because I like golf, but because he asked me to go. And when your boss asks you to go, you're supposed to go. We went out as a foursome, and I had to because I didn't have clubs. I had to rent left-handed metal clubs. I knew it was going to be a bad day. We spent most of the time trying to run down the balls that I had hit or even to try to find them. And I realized that there's really no joy in this at all. So I spent the rest of the 16 holes of the day sitting on the cart and riding with them and watching them golf. That seemed okay. And as for swimming, I mean, I was on the swim team when I was a younger kid. And I like to swim, but not swimming in the ocean. No, not not sure at all. Sharks still live and I still want to live. One of the first dramatic movies I ever saw in my younger days was the movie Jaws, the very first one they ever made. So I'll stay on the shore shore in a pool if you don't mind. Okay? Yet if you were to ask me what I really enjoy doing in my off time, then I probably would tell you that it would be maybe cutting and trimming and edging and mowing the lawn to make it look the best that it can. Or maybe even sitting down and putting together some music and some beautiful harmonies. You see, I sang in a Southern Gospel Quartet for 16 years. And then shortly thereafter, a Southern Gospel trio with my wife and sister for almost four or five years, making beautiful music. That's where I'd rather be. I think the most important thing for this season that we're in, and this time, that we're in it is not defined by a particular type of joy but just simply define joy to know that joy is not found in things or items or places or events but it's found in a relationship with Jesus that makes the season the event and the place and the relationships so so much sweeter so if you want to find a place today to sit and just enjoy what you're doing. Find it in the one that gives that joy. And that's Jesus Christ. God bless you and have a blessed week. Hi, this is Pastor Eric Anderson With stay in your faith. My mother and sister and I were going through some storage uh, and some books and pictures that had been possibly damaged in a recent uh, basement flood in our home in Ohio. As we were going through each box and each piece of article inch by inch and step by step, my sister came across one of my little brother Alex's childhood books see it has certain memories for us because my little brother passed away in 1990 and the name of this book was thidwick the big hearted moose a dr seuss book this book was published in 1948 and in the summary of it is somewhat like this thidwick is roaming around lake winnebango with his other moose friends and he's looking for moose moss to munch on when all of a sudden a bingle bug asks if he can hop on Fidwick's antlers for a free ride. See, Fidwick is such a big hearted moose that he says, No problem. And he lets the bug jump on for a ride. This generosity quickly gets out of control as each new animal invites another guest. Bingle bug is telling a passing bird. There's plenty of room, laughed the bug, and it's free. Jump aboard. So after a period of time, there are several creatures that have made their way eventually to Thidwick's antlers for a ride at Thidwick's expense. The bingo bug was already on. The tree spider came along. Then the Zo bird, his wife and his wife's uncle, the woodpecker. Herman the squirrel made his way on with his family. Bobcat came, a turtle came, a fox, mice with all its fleas, a bear, and 362 bees to be precise. It was a full house on Thidwick's antlers. Thidwick was not a big fan of all these unwanted guests which were ripping out his hair, building webs, and poking holes into his antlers. And he states this, This bird, murmured Thidwick, is sort of a pest, but I'm a good sport, so I'll just let him rest, for a host, above all, must be nice to his guest. All of Thidwick's moose friends are telling him that if he doesn't get rid of all those friends and his antlers, that he can't come and play on the other side of the lake. Then Thidwick approaches the water, and there's a big fuss from all the creatures in his antlers, saying, stop. You can't do this to us. These thorns are our home, and you have no right to take us to the other side of the lake. Thidwick will soon be hunted down for his antlers. And on top of that, he's got all these creatures living in his antlers. But something happens. Finished, not Thidwick. Decidedly not. It's true he was in a most terrible spot, but now he remembered the thing he'd forgot. Hmm. Have you ever been in a place where you have been so busy pleasing everyone else that you lose who you are and your place with God because of it at a cost to you? I remember times in my life that I've been so gracious and kind that people took full advantage of my kindness and I would struggle through just so that others would not have to. So we go back to Thidwick. Because this time of the year, he loses his antlers to grow new ones. Everybody knows that. So he throws his antlers to and fro, full of all the creatures that have taken up residence there at the hunters, and he gets away to join his friends across the lake. Thidwick is perfectly happy to let the guests ride on his antlers, but one of the guests started inviting other guests without considering Thidwick's feelings or the situation, and he prayed for a way out. Can I tell you that if you're seeking for a way out, is that you? In 1 Corinthians 10 and 13, further in the verse it says, God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability to resist. But along with the temptation, he will always provide the way out as well so that you will be able to stand firm. I know this message is simple, but I think we try and overcomplicate something that we know doesn't need to be proven again and again and again, and that is that God is faithful to see us through. So trust that God will make a way when there seems to be no other way. God bless you, and I love you. Hi, this is Pastor Eric Anderson with Stay in Your Faith. I've titled this particular podcast as Prayer and a Slight Chance. I wonder about that. The dictionary describes it as a, parts of it as a slight chance. You haven't got a chance in H-E double toothpick. Meaning your chances are very slight. I caught that to be funny to me, and I was listening to somebody the other day being interviewed on the news. They were in rage and discontent. Uh, they were a protester, and they were reminding all the Christians out there where their God is that's supposed to be helping everybody and saving everybody, and where in the HE double toothpick is He? And in my response from my living room to the TV was, he's exactly where you left him. He's never moved. I'm reminded in the scripture about prayer. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 6 and 7, but when you pray, go into your private room, close the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees what is being done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard because of their many, many words. In other words, don't babble, just talk to God. And in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13, the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane looked at Jesus and said, how should we pray as we sit here? And in the upper room, they were saying the same thing. How do we pray? What shall we do? And Jesus offered them the prayer that is as simple, and everybody that you know knows this prayer. Even in this world today, even in your life around you, you could kneel down and say this prayer all together, and you know it as the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Prayer again in James 5 and 16. Therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And then in Thessalonians 5 and 17, pray without ceasing. I love that because it reminds you to let your circumstances be the very thing that moves you and crowds you to Jesus. Pray without ceasing. And finally, in Philippians 4 and 6, do not be anxious about anything. Pray. I remember as a child, the only thing I remember praying for, for the most part, is at bedtime and at our meals. I know we probably prayed quite often and we were at church all the time and we prayed there quite a bit. But quite honestly, I had the same kind of prayer each and every time. Nothing more nothing less. I offered the same thing. My prayer for a meal was something like this. Jesus, thank you for this food. Bless it to the nourishment of our bodies as we partake of it. In Jesus' name, amen. And when I would go to bed at night and be tucked in quite often, my prayer would sound something like this. Nothing more, nothing less. Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you for my parents and my family. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, there are many places around the country that have their own way of expressing themselves, whether it's through a certain phrase or even a certain prayer-like fashion or a honoring-like fashion, like in Alabama. When I was down there as an associate pastor, they used to use the words, let's go down the road a bit, or, well, let's get going down the road. And I thought that meant they wanted me to go with them, when really it meant, it's time for me to leave. Or how about in South Dakota, where they use the phrase, get a wiggle on, which in other words means, hurry up, get a wiggle on. And of course, in Michigan, they use the phrase Pete," which means, oh my goodness, oh no, we have lost to Ohio State again and again. Sorry about that. I had to say that. See, prayer is defined in Webster as a solemn request for help or expression of thanks addressed to God or an object of worship. The traditional thing in the Catholic faith is adoration to praise God, contrition to ask for forgiveness, petition to ask God for favor, and thanksgiving to show gratitude to God for what he's done. So I was looking in these definitions and how this is defined, and Webster's final and most uh, extended offer to a definition of prayer was a slight chance. I thought about that. Can I tell you That prayers are issued at your most troublesome times and the times when you're at your highest struggle and the enemy is at its strongest point in your life. That's not the time to pray. The time to pray is when you're at your best, your best place, and you're at your highest point in your life and your struggles have diminished and the devil seems to be at bay at this point in your life. That's when you pray. It's not because necessarily you're afraid of it because when you're prayed up, you're ready. And those things come in your life and then you are ready for the battle and you're confident that he will see you through. Your prayer doesn't become one of fear or trembling or anxiousness. It really becomes one of saying, Lord, I know with all things, you are still possible. And I know that when I am afraid, I can, will, and have trusted in you. And I know that when I go through the shadow of the valley in my life, that you will bring me through and you will guide me and you will comfort me. You see, when the, you're armored and ready in prayer and in our lives, then we trust in God, especially when it comes those times we need to be ready. And then our memory is not short-lived our hope and our trust is in the all-knowing all-powerful creator whose name is above all other names that you could come up with and that name is jesus so don't use your prayers in your life as knowing you might have a chance or a slight chance because you know god is listening god is always listening and he hears your prayers and he knows your thoughts and he knows that what you're going through and he sees ahead of all your circumstances. All he's asking for is a relationship with you every day, all day, and for the rest of your life. Because with God, there is no such thing as a slight chance. God bless you. Hi, this is Pastor Eric Anderson with Stay in Your Faith. I decided to title this podcast as Prayer and a Slight Chance. Let me explain. It was defined in the dictionary as a slight chance, haven't got a prayer chance, or haven't got a chance in H-E double toothpick. You've heard that before. Meaning it's slight. I was listening to somebody the other day being interviewed by the news, and they were in rage and discontent. One of the protesters was reminding all the Christians out there, where their God that is supposed to be saving everybody, where in the you know what is He? And my response to the TV and from my living room chair was, He's exactly where you left Him, and He's never moved. You know, in the scripture, we're reminded of what prayer is all about particularly in Matthew 6, verses 6 and 7. But when you pray, go into your most private room, close the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees what is being done in secret and will reward you. And when you pray, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard because of their many words they use. Loosely translated, don't babble, just talk to God. And finally, in First Thessalonians 5 and 17, pray without ceasing. It reminds me that you'll let your circumstances be the very thing that moves and crowds you to Jesus. Pray. I remember as a child, the only thing I remember praying for, for the most part, at bedtime and for our meals. And quite honestly, I used to be the, have the same kind of prayer each and every time. Nothing more and nothing less. My prayer for meals was something like this Jesus, thank you for this food. Bless it to the nourishment of our bodies as we partake of it. In Jesus' name, amen. And at night, just before I got tucked in to go to bed, my prayer would sound something like this Nothing more, nothing less. Jesus, thank you for this day, and thank you for my parents and my family in Jesus' name. Amen. I believe God heard my prayers. You know, there are many places around the country that have their own way of expressing themselves, whether it's through a certain phrase or even a certain prayer-like fashion. Alabama. When I was down there as a youth pastor, they used to use the word, let's go down the road a bit, or let's go down the road, meaning they were done with the conversation and they were going to leave. I thought they wanted me to go with them. (laughs) <laughs> a term of endear- endearment, I'm sure. And then, of course, in Michigan, they used the word Pete." Oh, my goodness is what that meant. We have lost to Ohio State again. That was for all my Michigan fans. The definition is a solemn request for help or expression of thanks addressed to God. That's prayer, as Webster reminds us. But can I tell you that prayers that are issued at your most troublesome times in life and the times when you're at your highest struggle and the enemy is at its strongest point in your life, that's not necessarily the time to pray. The time to pray is when you're at your best place, when you're at your highest point in your life and your struggles have diminished and the devil seems to be at arm's length and at bay. That's when you pray. It's not because necessarily you're afraid because you're prayed up. And those things that come in your life, then you are ready for the battle and confident that he will see you through. Your prayer doesn't become one of fear or trembling or anxiousness. It really becomes one of saying, Lord, I know of all the things you are possible. I know that when I am afraid, I can, will, and have trusted in you. I know that when I go through the shadow of the valley in life that you will bring me through, you will guide me and you will strengthen me and you will comfort me. You see, when we're armored and ready in the word and in prayer and in our lives and our trust is in God, then when the time comes, you're ready. And then our memory is not short-lived. Our hope and our trust Is in the all knowing, powerful creator whose name is above all other names that you can even or ever come up with, and his name is Jesus. So don't use prayers in your life as knowing you might have a chance or a slight chance, because you know God is listening, God is always listening. And he hears your prayers and he knows your thoughts and he knows what you're going through and he sees ahead of all your circumstances. All he's asking for you is a relationship every day, all day, and for the rest of your life. So however you want to express it or pray to the Father, do it your way. But remember this, with God, there is no such thing as a slight chance. May the Lord bless you and have a good day. Hello, this is Pastor Eric Anderson with Stay in Your Faith. Lost in Translation. You wonder sometimes, and I don't mean that probably literally. But when I was a boy, we used to travel up to uh, Portland, Maine and Worcester, Massachusetts uh, all the time. And every time I'd go up there, I would instantly start developing a dialect. I'd kind of fall into the language, the mannerisms, the, the northerner sound kind of a thing, maybe more of a Bostonian or a maniac kind of a language, instantly, within 30 minutes I would sound a little bit like them. And every time I go up there, I still to this day shorten the ends of my words. I slow my pace down a little bit and I enjoy life ahead. At least it seems like it. You know, sometimes people say that God is too big or too busy with more important things to be concerned about. Something as inconsequential as the details of my life. That's really not biblical, is it? God absolutely cares about the little things that happen in our everyday lives. Even the way we act or the things that we say. Let's put it in some perspective. We must understand that everything is little compared to God, right? I mean, he created the entire universe And as you've seen, it's a big universe. It's huge. I mean, millions of trees, millions of stars, millions of animals, fish, people, perfectly designed by God. You know, God. Big G. As we would like to say. But the question of whether God cares... Is, is more about the depths of his love than it is about the, the breadth of his power, the importance of any particular detail. Throughout life, the Bible, we can see the evidence how God cares very deeply about our lives. For example, in Luke 12, 6 and 7, it reminds us that are not sparrows sold for pennies, And not one of them is forgotten by God or before God. Sparrows, two pennies. Or as they would say in the scriptures, two nickels, ten cents. Why God even knows the hairs and he numbers each and every one of them on your head. God cares about each and every one of those things. They might seem small, but not to God. The scripture says to fear not, you are of more value than any sparrow. And God remembers the birds that people sell from next for next to nothing. They are small and, and that's so different when it comes to a relationship that God has with us, his people. Jesus tells us that we are worth more than that. And because of that, he shows how much he cares for us. How much more does he care for his people, you might ask? Jesus' life demonstrates God's care for the details of our lives. Every detail. He took the time of the people to to heal them, addressing their spiritual problems on every personal level. I mean, on the night that Jesus was arrested to be crucified, he took the time to heal the ear of a high priest servant that Peter had chopped off. He took the moment to heal him because it was important. Something Jesus had just agonized over in prayer, but yet he took the time to care about every detail and extended that with a sign of healing. Healing and caring on an intimate and personal level, whether on the road to the cross or at a feast in the upper room of the disciples, Jesus absolutely cares about, here it is, every little thing in your life. Psalms 139, 13 through 14, David sings this. Oh yes, you shape me first inside, then out. You formed me in my mother's womb. I thank you, high God. You are breathtaking, body and soul. I am marvelously made. I worship in adoration. What a creation. You know me inside and out. You know every bone in my body. You know exactly how I was made, bit by bit. How I was sculpted from nothing into something. This is a God who intimately connected with him and with us in our lives, yours and mine. And Paul reminds us in Thessalonians that rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in everything. For this is the will of Christ Jesus. I talked earlier about going to Maine and the cost and the coast, and it seemed just a little laid back and the conversation a little more relaxed and the urgency a bit more on hold, at least for the moment. Maybe this week, in your minds or during your readings and your prayer time, you might take a moment, whether it's physical or emotional, and sit back and relax and just take in the moment of what God has for you today because He cares about every little detail everyone made everything truly cares about everyone. May God bless you today because he cares for you. Hi, this is Pastor Eric Anderson with Stay in Your Faith. When I was a boy, we would travel up to Worcester, Massachusetts and Portland, Maine, where we were from. And we would instantly start to develop uh, the same dialect. You ever been there? You know, their mannerisms, the northern slang, and you might call it the Bostonian sound or the maniac sound. And every time I still go up there today, I am shortening the ends of my words. I'm slowing my pace down just a little bit and enjoying a little bit more of what lies ahead in life. Sometimes people say that God is too big or too busy with more important things to be concerned about with something as inconsequential as the details of yours and my life. But that's really not biblical at all, is it? See, God absolutely cares about the little things that happen in our lives. Even when we act Maybe even the things that we say. Here's some perspective. We must understand that everything is little compared to God. I mean, he created the entire universe. And have you seen the whole universe? No, you haven't. But it's huge. And there's millions of trees, millions of stars, millions of animals and millions of fish and millions of people designed by God. You know, God. Some might call Big G. But the question of whether God cares more about the depths of His love than it is about the breadth and the power and the importance of any particular detail. I mean, throughout the Bible, we see evidence that God truly cares about our lives. In Luke 12, 6 and 7, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? In that translation back then, five birds for two nickels would be the cost. That's 10 cents. And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why? Even the hairs of your head are all numbered by God. God cares about everything. Everything. Fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. God remembers the bird that is sold each and every day. They are small. And a small consequence may be a little bit different than humans, yet they are remembered by God. Jesus tells us we are worth so much more than that. And that's why he cares. The question might be, how much more does he care for his people? Jesus' life demonstrates God's care for the details of your life. He took the time with the people that he healed, addressed their spiritual problems on a a very personal level. And on the night that Jesus was arrested to be crucified, he even took the time to heal the ear of a high priest's servant, an ear which Peter had cut off. And he'd taken the time. Jesus did, healing and caring on an intimate and personal level, whether it was on the road to the cross or at a feast table with his disciples, Jesus absolutely cares about every little thing. In Psalms 139, David sings this way, Oh yes, you shaped me first inside, then out. You formed me in my mother's womb. I thank you, high God, you are breathtaking. Body and soul, I am marvelously made. I worship in adoration, what a creation. You know me inside and out. You know every bone in my body. You know exactly how I was made bit by bit. How I was sculpted from nothing into something. This is something God who is intimately connected with mine and your lives. Paul tells us in Thessalonians, rejoice always pray without ceasing and give thanks in all circumstances because this is the will of God. When we love someone, we care about every detail of their lives. I talked about going up to Maine earlier and up to the coast. And every time we'd go up there, we were just a little bit more laid back. The conversation is a little more relaxed. And the urgency is a bit more on hold, at least. For the moment. So maybe this week in your minds or during your readings or your prayer time, you might take a moment, whether it's physically or emotionally, and sit back and relax and just take a moment of what God has done for you today. Because the one that made everything truly cares about everyone. May God bless you and have a blessed day.